0: Amy
1: helper Laugh. And I'm John Moskow. Welcome to Ethical Schools. Our guest today is Jackie Broder, Director of the Mamakating Environmental Education Center. Welcome, Jackie.
2: Thank you for having me. The Mamakating
0: Environmental Education Center describes itself on the website as where history, adventure, and education meet the great outdoors. Tell us about the center, Jackie.
2: So, the center was opened in 2017 by the town of Mammocating. We are located on a 3,000 acre wetland, which is managed by the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. The DEC or the town found an opportunity to purchase a piece of land, renovate the home into a nature center, and our goal is to teach about the environment, specifically about our wetland and to create a connection between the
1: community and and nature. And where is mammicating for people who don't know?
2: So mammicating is in Sullivan County, New York, which is in the Southeast corner of New York, where Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey meet.
1: And it's in the Catskills?
2: Yes.
0: So where history it's the great outdoors. How do you teach about history?
2: So our, this area is actually steeped in history. Our main roadway, which is State Route 209, has the distinction of being one of the oldest roads in the country. And that's been a pathway for, for years and years, including uh, the development of the DNH canal, which borders our, our wetland on one side. And that was a connection between Pennsylvania and the Hudson River to transport anthracite coal. And then on at the Basha Kill itself, uh, the wetland has been here for oh, since the glaciers came down and carved it out. There's been settlements here, Native American settlements, since the 1600s. Basha was a Native American medicine woman who was renowned throughout many different tribes. And the reason she settled here was because, so we're, we're nestled in between the Shiwangunk and the Catskill Ridges. Each ridge has a different soil type. So every plant needed medicinally was here for her use except for saltwater plants. So this area has been significant historically, ecologically speaking, since since it was created by the glaciers.
1: Were the Native Americans the Linen of the Nepe? Yes. What do the adventure programs look like?
2: So all of our programs have an educational element, but uh, we try to make everything hands-on. We try and get people out outdoors as much as possible, whether it's a walk or birding or just sitting and connecting with nature. We, we usually do an indoor and an outdoor component, but we try to get people into nature as much as possible. And you work with schools as well. We do. So yeah, we have public programs, but we're really trying. We have a we we just received a grant this year to really amp up our school program. So we're going to be doing a big outreach to the local di- school districts to either come here for a field trip or for us to go to go there and teach in the classroom.
1: You've mentioned that transportation can be a problem with schools. How does that work? And are there ways that either you or the schools can can ameliorate those issues?
2: Yeah, so the schools that we've had here, usually it's busing is an issue because there's not enough. There's a lot of different programs going on within the school. It's very difficult for schools to get a bus that can that has the capacity to both drop them off, stay, and or come and pick them up, which is really, it's been a hindrance for schools to actually come here. I also feel like we try and do, when we do programming here, but like, we try to do like an after-school program, but kids just can't get here. You know, whether parents are working or parents don't have a car, it's, it's transportation has been a, a real issue.
0: And how do these programs promote equity or encourage students to look at history and the great outdoors from a more ethical perspective?
2: So my personal philosophy and, and one that I try to incorporate here as much possible is that every living being is has equal equal value. And I feel like that has not really been taught that seems to be lost, whether it's in the home or in schools or whatever. I, I feel like we've, we've really, there's a real separation between humans and every other living thing. And because of that, we we've lost respect for, or we don't know to respect other living beings, whether it's a plant or an insect or an animal. And so I really try to create an emotional connection when kids are here. I want them to stop and just sit and look at a square foot section of dirt and see how many things are crawling in there and how many different plants are living there. And, and I, I feel like through exploration and and hands-on and touching and smelling and sometimes tasting, you know, depending, that's what makes the connection and, and having A good time and not just having science thrown at somebody but real individual exploration is what makes the connection and when that connection is made I think then then the equity is is felt and learned
0: and are you speaking about equity in terms of respecting the sentience of animals other than humans I mean I would I think I would call that moral circle expansion, mm-hmm. so we're really, which is really, I guess, a wonderful way of, you know, getting at that. If you're saying you're going to really right. explore this square foot of soil and, and, and all the creatures in it and really have respect for them. Yes. Even awe. I think that's, that's really wonderful. I'm just wondering if when you're looking at history, if you're going to, also encounter the touchy questions that the school librarians are dealing with right now and and on a, a lot of teachers of are you going to talk about you mentioned you're on, on Katie, I mean there are indigenous peoples there how do we talk about how we got from those indigenous peoples to who
2: we are now you know yeah i definitely i, I i'm a true believer in if if we don't learn history then it's repeated and i have a lot of respect for the people who who did cross this land, live here from the beginning of time up till now, and there is some ugly history in there. And I think it's time that we learn that history and grow from it and be better people for it. Recently, well, a couple months ago, we had a, a speaker. who's a local author. He's a retired detective who. Now does he writes books on on crimes that have happened in the area, historic crime in the area, and he spoke on a lynching that happened in in our local town here in the late eighteen hundreds. And you know, this is the North; it was post post Civil War era, and there was an actual lynching. And I think these things are important to note and learn from and and grow from. I
1: wanted to follow up a little bit on some of the work with the schools in a couple of ways. One is when we were talking before, I think you mentioned that you had done a project at a Montessori school or montessori yes. school. Could you talk a little bit about what that was like?
2: Sure. So yeah, we, we packed up a bunch of stuff and we went to the school and it was a beautiful campus. And we had the capacity to just lay out skulls and skeletons and pelts and everything that it was all related to species that live at the Bashakil. And so kids were actually able to see and touch parts of of animals that, that actually they don't normally get to see. Everything was collected legally. <laughs> you know, it was roadkill and, and that kind of stuff. But it's really interesting to watch kids... You know, a lot of kids were, didn't want to touch it at first, but then they did. And and to like really, really see that barrier crossed when when they're told interesting how much how many trees a beaver can go through and how diligent they are about keeping their homes and their dams intact and how they were the first engineers and and man learned from engineering for beavers and then took took those lessons and built the Brooklyn Bridge. And it, it, it's really fun to watch watch kids
1: eyes brighten when they make connections and learn something new. What kinds of impressions and misimpressions do you find children having about nature when you first start working with them?
2: A lot of the misimpressions are like insect related. Bugs are meant to, you know, people are killing bugs in their house left and right and giving bad b- bad karma bats, possums and then when they learn like just how important each of these individuals is in for our ecosystem it's it's great i think i feel like the biggest kick i get out of it is when these kids turn around and and talk to their parents about it and and share that information with their parents um and it seems Kids locally, it seems like they're they're more and more aware of their environment and the importance of the 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 species different species in their environment. It seems like when kids come from the city, they they, they don't have the exposure to anything. I I was when I was a, a park ranger in the Bronx, all I had to do was show kid kids a worm, and they were horrified and surprised, and, but but completely in awe of it and wanting to learn more and yeah, teaching the kids is the best and and watching how their minds shift
1: is is really amazing. What is it important for children to learn about wetlands?
2: My biggest goal in teaching kids about wetlands is teaching them that that they are one of the most important ecosystems on this planet. Some say the most important because, not only because they clean and protect our water, which we obviously cannot live without, but that they are nurseries for birds and, and mammals and insects and fish. And and there's so many microcosms going on in, in a wetland that, that people just don't realize. And they're just magical. And, and that's what I want, want kids to learn, that they are just a wealth of life so many people look at at wetlands and think, oh it's a swamp, it's just a breeding ground for mosquitoes and like don't take that one step further further and think how many animals are feeding off those mosquitoes and then just everything going up the food chain like every single thing is is dependent on that marshy mosquito ridden place so, so yeah.
0: aside from aside from that understanding, you've talked about, wanting children to develop an emotional connection to nature. And and I'm wondering what that looks like and whether that's something they carry with them.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like the emotional connection comes from being immersed in the ecosystem and stopping, you know, like we'll do, if we, if we scoop some water out of the wetland and look at just how many different organisms are living in that water and, looking under a microscope and seeing this whole new world. And I feel like just that makes the connection walking through and finding different birds and, and being able to figure out, Oh, you know, what kind of bird is this and how do we figure out what it is? And it empowers them because they're figuring things out. And I feel like empowerment also is is big and, and making an emotional connection. So I feel immersion is the, best, is the best way, in whatever capacity that is.
1: You mentioned that it's often hard for schools to arrange transportation. And then you talked about what you did at the Montessori School. When you go to both regular public schools that aren't necessarily already focused on sort of hands-on in the way that maybe Montessori is, how are you able to help kids make these connections in a classroom?
2: Well, our programming is centered around what the teacher's curriculum is for that year. So we like to come in as like a supplement to those lessons and we, we bring in hands-on stuff. Sometimes it's we're possible and we do a PowerPoint so they can see pictures of the Bashakil. We try and just do a combination of, of both of those things in visual
1: and tactile lessons. How do you work with teachers? Do you meet with them ahead of time to talk about how it fits in with their lessons? Do you encourage them to do follow-up work? What does it generally look like?
2: So yeah, I like to talk to each teacher individually and find out what they've covered in the classroom already. We have a, a, a set program, but we try to just change it, adapt it a little bit to to meet their needs. And yeah, we're, we're pretty flexible in that way. And then we usually come with some kind of activity, like we have a beautiful mural in, in our children's room, and I have activity booklets that go along with that mural. So I bring things like that where the, the teacher can just hand out to the students and give them some more coloring or word or word searches and, and that kind of thing.
0: Can you get actual buy-in from the teachers so that they they view this as, as as integral
2: to the students' daily lives as you do that's something that we we do want to we're looking to develop we don't have that yet but we have a couple teachers who come every year cuz like they understand it but we are working on a way to get most teachers feeling that way
0: Yeah, there was a movement. I I recall a a couple of years ago. There must have been a book. You know, there was a lot of talk about being a good ancestor, and I guess that framing really worked for me in terms of what are the students going to take from this? Well, for one thing, I think they should have some awareness of the importance of animals. Other than human, I hate I hate to lump animal, you know, lump yeah, it all together as nature because some of these creatures are sentient, right? They can suffer, they can thrive. And so how they've been treated, how we have as a, a species treated nature over the years and how we should moving forward, especially seeing as we're in some sort of climate crisis, planetary crisis, how can we be good ancestors? And I'm wondering if that's
2: any part of what you're teaching. I really like that, that being good ancestors. I hadn't heard that before, but I think that ties in really well with our history and environment, the two different paths that we take, because historically speaking, Native Americans were good ancestors. And, and are and then we came in and pretty and corrupted that and I think people are get going towards that where they're like, oh look at how they lived and never had a climate crisis per se. So I think it's really good for us to reset that groundwork and be the new good ancestors And I think kids are looking for that too like when you listen to, all the information about climate change, it's just so overwhelming. And, and I think it, you know, it kind of freezes people, but if we're setting, if we're becoming the new good ancestors, it gives kids a place to look and say, Oh, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And I think that's so important.
1: That's a really powerful way of looking at it because it, it makes it individual and is empowering as you're saying, rather than feeling it's just this huge existential crisis that is just going to happen to us, sort of, regardless of anything we might do.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I really, you know, take offense when people are like, oh, well, turning off all your lights isn't going to help, or just doing this isn't going to help. And, but like, if everybody does, it will help. And we need to take those tiny steps. In the, and even if I sometimes beat myself up, because I'm like, I'm not doing enough globally, but then I I have to really focus myself and say, like I'm doing stuff locally and somebody else is doing stuff locally. And that's another thing I I would love to see in the future where all of our local little local entities come, check in with each other or, or just spread the good news that they're doing so that we remember that it's not just me turning off my lights. It's, it's other people are making an effort and making a difference and and we need to turn off the news.
1: <laughs> Speaking of, of making the connections, do you find that the center has a lot of connections in local communities? Are you, are, are a lot of people and organizations coming and saying, we want to join in with the kind of work that you're doing?
2: We really, yeah, I, I have noticed that, especially in the past year. You know, we've, we've done the, some programming with our local library and, Our local library is great and they do a lot of environmental uh, and history programs. We're reaching out. We're working more with the local Audubon societies, both Sullivan and Orange County. And um, yeah, it's the the connections are, are being made. And that's also very empowering. Are there other centers like yours around the country? around the country yes but locally we're really we're really the only one the only one in Sullivan County so i'm very proud of that that we started this here yeah there's some great nature centers around the country and i really encourage people to to do a search and find one that's local to them because they're all unique you know they're all have their own different geography so i'd love going to different nature centers because there's always something new there's always a different way things are presented and it's it's a real educational and fun experience i've never gone into a nature center and was like oh that was they're they're just great places to be and the people who gravitate towards them are just great people they're just happy warm inviting places to be so i encourage people to visit their local
1: how did how did the town come to set up the center or to sponsor the center You mentioned that you're actually part of the town.
2: Yeah. So a previous town supervisor saw this opportunity to buy this property and it was his brainchild. And yeah, he just grabbed it, pushed it through. And I mean, there was been, there's some backlash with the next administration that came in because it's not a service. It's not a physical service. So it was considered a waste of money, but the community really has you know, sees the value and has rally around it around us and kept us open and and coming, coming to programs, like our numbers are there. So any the naysayers are hopefully slowly quieting down and, and hopefully changing their minds.
1: Are there programs for families at the center?
2: Yeah, we usually have a program almost every weekend, every two weeks. Some are geared towards children, some are geared towards adults, most are People of all ages, we have a Nature Tots program for for toddlers on Fridays, toddlers and their caregivers. And yeah, we we usually have some kind of program going on every weekend.
1: Thank you, Jackie Broder of the Mamakating Environmental Education Center. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. It's been an honor. I really appreciate you inviting me. And thank you, listeners. Check out our new video
0: series, What Would You Do?, a collaboration with the Harvard Graduate School of Education and Ed Ethics. Go to our website ethicalschools.org and click video. The goal of this series is not to provide right answers, but to illustrate a variety of ethical viewpoints. If you found this podcast worthwhile, please share it with a friend or colleague. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating or review. This helps others to find the show check out our website for more episodes and articles and to subscribe to our monthly emails we post annotated transcripts of our interviews to make them easy to use in workshops or classes contact us at hosts at we're on facebook instagram and twitter at ethical schools our editor and social media manager is amanda Denci. until next week